All right, so we're going to look at uh, the story of one man's encounter uh, with Jesus, and uh, it really is a, a pretty powerful encounter that he had, that after he encountered Jesus, life was literally never the same again. He was literally on the spot transformed into a, a completely uh, different man, and we'll walk through that story in a second, but I think if we're honest, the thought of transformation for most of us is pretty terrifying because if we're going to be transformed, that means there's going to be change. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I'm going to guess there's a lot of us who the thought of change is at best uncomfortable and we don't want to do it. Uh, even if what we're doing is hard or hurtful or, you know, uh, change is just, it's really difficult. Uh, but as we encounter Jesus, and we're going to look at this specific story of this man's encounter with Jesus, he was just transformed on the spot. And one of the things I just want us to keep seeing through this series is anytime someone encounters Jesus, life can never be the same uh, because of that encounter uh, with Jesus. Uh, I'm going to look at uh, hopefully two questions we're going to answer is, who was this man and how was he encountered by Jesus? So who was he? Uh, who was he before he met Jesus, and how was he literally encountered by Jesus? And then the second question is, how did his encounter with Jesus, how did it transform his life? Because he encountered Jesus, what difference was there in this man's life? Now, as I go through these two questions, my aim is not for any one of us to say, well, I, I want to be like this guy. My aim is that as we go through and look at this man's encounter uh, with Jesus, is that we would see the same Jesus who grabbed hold of this man and transformed this man is the same Jesus who is at work in my life, is the same Jesus who can and will transform me um, as he did uh, this individual. So question number one is, who was this man and how was he encountered by Jesus? His name was Saul. Uh, before he met Jesus, this man's name was Saul he was hardcore, he was ruthless, he was violent, he was a religious zealot who adamant, adamantly opposed uh, anyone who followed Jesus. He persecuted people to the point of imprisoning them and even persecuted people to the point of death. The first time we really see this man Saul is at someone else's execution. This is when scripture introduces us to this man is uh, literally at the feet of someone who had just been executed. And this is what it says about Saul. I'll start at verse, uh, chapter 7 of Acts. It says, While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. Stephen was a follower of Jesus, and this was Stephen's prayer. As he's being stoned, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And when he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, meaning he died. What an amazing last prayer. God, what these people are doing killing me right now, forgive them for this sin. And then he dies. Now, you would think that hearing that prayer would just soften anyone's heart. But as we meet this man Saul in uh, chapter 8 of verse 1, it says this, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. Now, I don't know about you. That seems kind of odd to me that you could literally be standing there watching someone get stoned. And we're talking about 15, 20-pound rocks being dropped on someone until their skull is crushed, until their bones are broken. I can't imagine standing there looking and watching all of this and be like, yes, 
This is a very good thing. I'm glad that the mobs and the crowds are dropping rocks on this man so that he will die. I can't imagine. It would be like someone going to an execution and you go to the electric chair and you're like, yes, can you turn it on again? Can you maybe up the, the voltage a little bit? This is a very good thing. So as we meet Saul, he's literally standing at the feet of someone who was just executed and he's giving his approval. And it goes on and it says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. This man was so enraged, had such a hatred for anyone who claimed to follow Jesus, who claimed to align themselves with this man, Jesus, that he would literally go from house to house looking for people who were followers of Jesus so he could drag them off to, to prison, to persecute. Now, as I'm thinking about this, like, why is he like this? Why does he care if someone is following Jesus? Why does he care? What's it to him? Well, you ever met someone who just couldn't stand to be wrong? You ever met someone, now you might not have to look much beyond the mirror for this, but you ever met someone who, no matter what, they just would not admit, they could not admit that they were wrong? If these people were right, and Jesus, in fact, was alive, the one who was crucified, but now was alive, resurrected, and these people were following Jesus who was alive, that meant that everything in and about Paul's life was wrong. And so everything about the way of Christians was in direct opposition to everything that he stood for. And Paul could not stand to be wrong, because if he was wrong, then that meant that they were right, and there would have to be some significant changes in this man's life. It goes on in Acts chapter 9. Uh, skip a chapter, it says in verse 1, Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And so he went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's Christianity, uh, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This man was not content just to stay in Jerusalem and knock on door to door, searching from house to house, looking for people to drag off to prison. He wanted to take it a little bit further, and he wanted to travel miles and miles and miles outside of Jerusalem to chase these people down. He literally wanted to hunt them down so he could take them and bring them back to Jerusalem and put them in prison, uh, even to the point of death. This guy was pretty hardcore. He was pretty hardcore enough to seek these men and women out. Now, as I was thinking about Saul, if... Jesus was looking for somebody to be a champion in the church, to be, you know, someone who was going to be a great advocate for the way of Christ and the way of Christianity. I'm guessing none of us would have bet any amount of money and said, hey, Jesus, have you considered Saul? He seems like he would be, you know, a list of guys that you would want to pick to be on your team, to be your face, your, your voice, as it were, to spread Christianity. I don't think anyone saw what Jesus was about to do with this man coming, including Saul. And it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 3, As he neared Damascus on his journey, 
Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Verse 5, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Of all the questions that Jesus could have asked Saul, why do you think he asked Saul the question, why do you persecute me? Well, Saul thinks Jesus is dead. This is what he is fighting so hard to to put down, the message that Jesus is alive. So in Saul's mind, Jesus is dead, and he's trying to prove to anyone and everyone that Jesus is in fact dead. And so if there is going to be any transformation that takes place in Saul's life, Saul needs to know that Jesus, in fact, is very much alive. And you cannot persecute someone who is dead. And so he stops Paul in his tracks with a blinding light, appears to Paul, and asks him the question of, why do you persecute me? Now, Saul was obviously pretty clearly confused. And so he asks a question And it was not only the question, but it was the answer that changed everything from Paul. One question, one answer, and his life was literally never the same again. He's confused, and he says, who are you? Who is this that is talking to me and knows my name? Who is this that has now appeared to me and is asking me this question of why I am persecuting you? And then there were seven words that ultimately changed Paul's life, or Saul's life. The seven words were, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Can you imagine hearing that response? Paul, the one that you are adamantly trying to deny is alive, the one that you are adamantly trying to persecute and imprison people, it's me, Saul, it's Jesus, I'm alive, and in fact, you're actually persecuting me. Now, When Jesus encountered Saul, he asked him the question of, why are you persecuting me? As I was thinking about this, if it was you, okay, if it was you and you were literally stopped in your tracks, what is the question that Jesus would have for you? Jesus' question to Saul was, why are you persecuting me? Some of you, that might be the very question you would get from Jesus as well. The question of, why are you persecuting me? Maybe Jesus' question to you would be something, why are you doubting me? Maybe Jesus would say, well, why are you ignoring me? Maybe Jesus' question would be, why are you believing or continuing to believe lies about who I am? This was the question that paralyzed, literally stopped Paul in his tracks of, why are you persecuting me? And I want you to think about what is the question that Jesus would actually have asked you and maybe is asking you right now. Now, for Saul, who would soon become Paul, he literally went from being in the presence of Jesus himself, this great light, to going into a period of three days of darkness. As the story goes on in Acts 9, I'm not going to read all of it, it says that Paul literally fell to his knees blind. As soon as he said, as Jesus revealed himself, uh, as soon as that happened, Paul literally became blind and fell to his knees. For three days, this man was in darkness. And I just find it interesting at best that uh, three days of darkness that this man was in, 
And I'm guessing there was a, a parallel here of Jesus, after he was killed and crucified, buried in a tomb for three days in darkness before he came out of the tomb. And what I love about what happened with Paul is after three days of experiencing complete darkness, at the end of three days, the blindness ceased. And Jesus was gracious to Paul and said, or to Saul at the time, and revealed to him what his life was now going to be like and what his life was going to be about. And if you read in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, it says this, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and uh, their kings and before the people of Israel. Isn't it amazing that Jesus would grab hold of the man who was trying to crush his name from going forward and say, actually, this man is going to be the greatest champion for my name going forth throughout the known world. Isn't that amazing? You're going to go to the Gentiles. You're going to go to the kings and rulers of the known world, and you're going to go to your own brothers. And you are going to make much of my name to all of these people. That This is who Paul Saul was before Jesus grabbed hold of his life. Now I want to finish, and I'm going to try to go through these uh, relatively quickly, and I encourage you to write these down. This is not an exhaustive list of what changed or what was transformed in Saul, but as I consider Saul's journey up to the point of when he died, these are five things that I see that because Saul encountered Jesus, this was the transformation that took place in his life. Now the point is not for you to say, well, am I supposed to be like Paul? No, I want you to see the same one who transformed Paul is the same Jesus who is at work in inviting transformation in our lives as well. All right, number one of how did his encounter with Jesus transform his life? Number one is this, Paul shared what he knew before he knew not to share because he did not know enough. Say it again. Paul shared what he knew before he knew not to share because he did not know enough. This is what the very first thing, it says immediately after uh, he received his sight and was refreshed, this is what uh, Scripture records that Saul did. Verse 20 of chapter 9. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Number one, Paul shared what he knew before he knew not to share because he did not know enough. There was absolutely no delay in Paul becoming a preacher of what he knew. And he knew that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is Lord, that he is the Messiah, he is the Christ, he is the Savior. At this point, Paul didn't know much, but that did not hinder him from sharing what he actually did know. Now, let me ask if you've ever thought this. I can't really talk about what I believe because I don't really know that much, and I'll just wait to tell others about Jesus until I know more about Jesus. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I'm guessing there would be a lot of us who would say, that's totally me. I don't feel comfortable talking about Jesus and sharing what I know about Jesus because ultimately I don't really know enough. And someone might ask me a question 
and then I'll get stumped and I'll look foolish. And so I'd rather not say anything until I really lock myself down and know everything. Now, the problem, obviously, with that line of thought is you'll never share it with anyone because you'll never know enough. But what I love about Paul is that he shared what he knew and then Jesus took care of the rest. You don't know everything, no one does. But if you know Jesus as Savior, as Messiah, if Jesus has encountered you, you know enough to share that. And that's it. I love how, uh, I haven't quoted Spurgeon since Romans, so I just felt compelled I had to bring Spurgeon back. But this is what Spurgeon said. The gospel does not need defending. If Jesus Christ is not alive and cannot fight his own battles, then Christianity is in a really bad state. But he is alive, and we have only to preach his gospel in all its simplicity, and the power that goes with it will be evidence of his divinity. Paul preached Jesus is the Messiah. That, that's it. That's what he told people. Now, as he grew in his relationship with Jesus, and as he grew in his learning, he certainly shared more. He certainly shared more, some very deep theological truths as we learned in Romans, but immediately he began to share what he knew. And I fear that what happens with a lot of people who've been walking with Jesus for more than a few days is what happens is I can't share until I know more. But what I see in a transformed Paul is that he started sharing immediately and started sharing quickly. One of the things that I love about what happens uh, with this guy, with Paul, is he almost was unbelievable because his life had not yet caught up to his message. People were like, wait a minute, you got the wrong message, man. You came here to persecute people who proclaim that message. This is completely inconsistent with what we know of your life. But rather than Paul being deterred by his life not catching up to the message yet, he still shared the message. And the more he proclaimed the message that Jesus is in fact alive, the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, God's Redeemer, his life began to be transformed by this message that he was preaching. And I think what happens in our time a lot, our lives a lot, is well, my life is so inconsistent with this message, therefore I can't preach the message. And we wait for our life to catch up to the message. I don't see that in Paul. Did you, did you hear what people said? Wait, aren't you the guy that's supposed to be like taking people to prison? But it didn't stop Paul from preaching the gospel. So number one of that transform, transformation in Paul, Paul shared what he knew before he knew not to share it because he did not know enough. Number two, I like this one. Saul became Paul, but Paul was a lot like Saul. Okay, write that one down. Saul became Paul. Okay, there's another name of how we understand of who this man was. Saul became Paul, but Paul was a lot like Saul. When we met Saul, uh, when, when Saul, when Jesus met Saul on the road to Damascus, he was a man of great passion, drive, intellect, skill, leadership. But after encountering Jesus, he did not become this man who had absolutely no passion. He did not become this man who had no intellect, no drive. This man was still fired up after he met Jesus. So Saul looked an awful lot, or Paul looked an awful lot like Saul, but the difference was before Saul encountered Jesus, everything was about him. 
his drive, his passion, his intellect, his leadership, his, his wisdom and creativity, everything was self-focused. Everything was about promoting his agenda. Everything was about making a name for himself. But afterwards, after he met Jesus, something pretty amazing happened. Is He was not transformed from being this passionless wuss who could not even speak anymore, who had absolutely no drive. He used how God uniquely wired him, created him, fashioned and formed him now to make much of Jesus' name. I love that Paul looked at a lot like Saul, but everything was now refocused from a very making it about him to making it about Jesus. I wrote it down like this. When Jesus encounters you, he's not looking to make you into something you're not. God's not looking to tame you. Rather, God wants to use how he's fashioned and formed you to glorify him and reach others for him. God is not looking to tame you. He's not looking for you to be someone that you're not after you meet Jesus. When you meet Jesus, he wants you to be fully how he has wired, created, fashioned, and formed you, but not to glorify yourself and make it about you. He wants to use you in your fullest form in Christ to glorify God and to reach others for God. It says this in Acts chapter 9, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. He's talking about uh, Saul, but they were all afraid of him and not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. He literally saw Jesus. And now, and how in Damascus, he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And he talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. I just love that after he encountered Jesus, he took that same passion, that same fearlessness, that same drive to introduce as many people as he could to, to Jesus. Even to the point where he was now being persecuted to the point of death, it didn't stop him. Question for you, if you've encountered, been encountered by Jesus, how are you using how God has uniquely fashioned and formed you to glorify God and reach others for God? How are you using how God has uniquely fashioned you? There's only one you. And how God has uniquely formed you to glorify God and reach others for God. Some of you are just so uniquely gifted when it comes to leadership, when it comes to finances, when it comes to arts or music or technology or counseling. Some of you are so uniquely gifted, and that is from God for you to be used to glorify God and reach others. So how are you using how God has wired you, not the one sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you, but how are you using that passion, that drive, that intellect, that skill in finance, in leadership, in the arts, in music, in technology, in any of these things, how are you using it? to glorify God, and to reach others for God. You're either going to use how you've been uniquely created to make much of you, like Saul did, or you will use how God has uniquely wired, fashioned, formed, shaped you 
like Paul did, to glorify God in his passion, to glorify God in his drive, in his leadership, in his wisdom, to glorify God and to win others for God. Number three, this is not as much of a tongue twister. Paul grew less impressed with himself as he grew more impressed by Jesus. I envisioned Saul kind of looked in the mirror and was like, you are a heck of a guy. But after he met Jesus, Saul, now Paul, was quickly becoming less impressed with himself. This is towards the end of his life, he says in 1 Timothy. And I want you to hear how he now views himself and how he views Jesus. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though, and listen how he describes himself, even though I was once a blasphemer and persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. That is a really big thing for someone who was a Pharisee to say that I actually had unbelief because the thing that they hold on to was their belief. I'm an ignorant, violent man who didn't have belief. Verse 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. He wants to put himself on the top of the list as the chief of all sinners. That's how he viewed himself after his encounter with Christ. Before his encounter with Christ, he probably looked at his resume and was really impressed with his accomplishments, with his pedigree, with his degrees, with what people said about him. But after he met Christ, he viewed himself a sinner, ignorant, one who did not believe, a blasphemer, a violent man. It took an encounter with Christ for Saul to see, you know, I'm not all that of an impressive person. Now, obviously, bring this home to you. Are you impressed by you? Now, most of us would say, well, that would be really prideful to say, out loud at least, that I am. So let me ask another question to help you determine how impressed you are with yourself. Have you ever had that moment or that thought where you think to yourself, if only everyone else would act, react, think, behave like I do, things in this world would be such a better place? Now, no one's laughing because I'm guessing that, yeah, I've kind of had that thought before because we're impressed with ourselves. If people would just do what I do, think like I think, act like I act, it would be so much easier. It would go so much better for them. And what we're really communicating without saying it verbally is if people were a little bit more like me, things would go better for them. Paul was not impressed by himself as after he was encountered with Christ. He was more impressed or enamored, as it were, with Jesus. I love how he says in Philippians, uh, it says this in chapter uh, 3, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ." Man, everything that I was so impressed, so enamored either by myself or by other things is foolishness. It's absolute garbage. That's what rubbish means. And Paul says, I, ju I just want to know Christ. 
I want to know the man who has redeemed me and saved me and rescued me. I want to know the man who appeared to me on the road to Damascus. I want to know that man. Number three of how an encounter with Jesus transformed this man was that he grew less impressed with himself and as he grew more impressed with Jesus. Number four, Paul began to love those he once hated and his heart was broken for those his heart was once united with. Paul began to love those he once hated and his heart was broken for those his heart was once united with. He used to persecute people to the point of just seeking and searching them out in order to destroy them. His heart now began to love those those people. And rather than having his heart united with those who were cheering or egging him on to go and do these things, namely the Pharisees, his heart began to break for them because he saw them as separated from God, still living in a place where he once was ignorant, foolish, in unbelief. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. How does that happen? That you can go from hating someone so much like Paul did. He just, he hated Christians. He just wanted to get rid of them. How do you go from being that guy to the guy that says, I love you so much that I'm not just about sharing a message with you. I want to share all of my life with you. And I want you to share all of your life with me. What happens to a person's heart that once was so filled, just hardness and hatred towards Christians, towards Jesus, followers of Jesus, that he says, I love you so much. I want you to know this good news, and I want to share my entire life with you. Well, because he was encountered by Jesus, and when he was encountered by Jesus, Jesus gave him a heart. The things that Jesus loved, Paul began to love. The things that would break the heart of, of Jesus began to break the heart of Paul. Paul's heart was not only changed for those he once persecuted, But one of the, and we looked at this in Romans a few months back, but one of the things that was amazing is Paul didn't consider those that he used to run with, namely the Pharisees, and be like, well, forget these guys now. I don't want anything to do with these guys who were part of my former life, who were part of my Saul life. I don't want anything to do with those guys. They're a hindrance to me. They're a nuisance to me. They're they're toxic to me. They drag me down. Saul looked at them, or Paul looked at them, And this is what he says in Romans chapter 9. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race. What happened to this guy's heart? That he would say, I would rather be damned of God if it meant my brothers would come to know Jesus. The guys that I used to run with, that I'm no longer running with because they're running the wrong way. How is it that his heart was so broken for these men that he'd say, I'd be damned of God if they would just come to know Jesus as I have come to know Jesus. As you're here today and you're kind of examining now this heart question, Is your heart growing in love and affection for those who follow Jesus? 
and not just your best friend, not your BFF, but is your heart growing for those who follow Jesus? Do you have just affection for them? Do you look at people who are even in this church, and you might know them, might not know them by name, but you just look at them and say, I'm so thankful for you. I don't even know you, but I'm so thankful for you. Is your heart growing in tenderness and love and affection for those who claim the name of Christ? And likewise, is your heart growing and being broken, as it were, for those who are in your life, but yet they still don't know who Jesus is? They've not been encountered and don't know Jesus as Jesus has made himself known to you. Does your heart just break? What I'm essentially asking is, if you've been encountered by Jesus, there is a heart transformation that takes place where I begin to love what Jesus loves, the church, Christians, brothers and sisters, and my heart begins to break for those who don't know the gospel, the love of God, the Savior, the Redeemer. My heart breaks for those things. On a side, I think one way that we cultivate that heart, and I think one way that Paul cultivated that heart uh, to have that heart of Jesus, is this man was relentless in praying for people. This is a small sampling of his prayers. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. That's Philippians, Colossians. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Christ, Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. This man was just relentless for praying for people. So who's on your list? Whose name are you taking to heaven relentlessly, faithlessly, faith, uh, faithfully? If you don't have a list, start one. Use your Genesis bulletin to start a new one. It's free of charge. It's, it's our gift to you. Use that as your list to start writing down some names of Christians, of brothers and sisters, that your prayer is as simple as, man, I thank God for this person. I thank God for this person. My heart just has so much joy when I think about them. When we pray, our hearts uniquely get changed and transformed to begin to take on the heart of Christ, to love what he loves and to have a heart that's broken for what his heart is, is broken over. Number five, finish with this one. Number five, Paul's past did not hinder his present or future. Paul's past did not hinder his present or his future. I know for me in over many, many years of ministry, I've seen countless people who have been crippled and literally counted out because of a past that they failed to see as completely redeemed by Jesus. They were completely hindered and chained down to a past of what had happened, maybe to them, maybe something that they had done, that they could not see their past as redeemed, as forgiven, as released from. If there was ever a man who should have been chained down by his past, it was Paul. Can you imagine the guilt and the regret and the shame of, man, what was I thinking? Standing above a man as faithful, as godly as Stephen and saying, yeah, this is a good thing. Let's throw some more rocks on him. What was I thinking dragging people off to prison? But what I love about what I see in Paul is that his past did not hinder 
his present or the future that God had invited him to live. He was able to see that when he was encountered by Jesus, all of him, including his past, was completely redeemed, was completely forgiven. Paul, as he's standing before King Agrippa at the very end of Acts, says this, and when he's trying to explain to King Agrippa what happened to him, his transformation, in Acts 26, he says this, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. (coughs) Excuse me. To oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. As he considered his past, and he's explaining it, it didn't stop there. Paul considered his past, but he did not see it as something that was to be carried into his present or his future that would hinder what God had called him to do. It says in Philippians chapter 3, not that I've already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which, which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Verse 13, uh, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Is there anything in your past that you did or maybe was done to you? Is there anything in your past that is absolutely chaining you down to miss the present and the future that God has invited you to in Christ Jesus? Is there anything in your past that as you consider it, you continue to believe the lie that says, I cannot be used of God because of that? Or because of that was done to me, I can't do this? Paul, encountered by Jesus, saw his past as completely redeemed, forgiven, and even healed. I want you to know that no matter what your past looks like, there is nothing beyond redemption. Your past might scare you, and it might even scare those around you, but it doesn't scare Jesus. When Jesus was looking for someone to be a leader in his church, Jesus said, I think Saul. I I, I think he could make the team. If anyone would have counseled Jesus, like, Jesus, I don't know about this guy. Kind of a shady guy. He's got an anger issue. He's okay, apparently, with murdering people. Jesus, maybe rethink this. Jesus said, no, no, no. But I see in him, he's misguided. He's completely lost his way. But once Jesus encountered Saul, became Paul, he was released from his past because he saw it as redeemed, forgiven, healed, to live the life that God had, had invited him to live. I think he was able to do that because he saw when he met Jesus, he was a new man. He says this in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone, and the new has come. You can't bring up my past against me because Jesus doesn't. You can't hold something against me because Jesus has forgiven me. 
Paul did not uh, remain chained down by his past. The thing, the fifth and final thing that I'd share with you about how this man's transfer, encounter with Jesus transformed him is his past did not hinder his present or his future. The very last thing that uh, Paul says uh, in his letter to, to, to uh, his spiritual son, Timothy, in uh, chapter, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 7, he says, I fought a good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Do you know that you could only say, I finished the race, if you've actually begun the race? You can't say, I finished something, if you haven't started something. Can you imagine if in an actual race, the, the gun goes off and the eight people lined up to run the race just are kind of standing there? Do you imagine the coaches and the fans and the, and the, and the crowd would be, the gun went off, go! Yeah, not yet. I, I haven't trained enough and... I heard the gun, but I'm not sure I'm ready to do this yet. I've got some more things to think about. I've got some more things to figure out. But the gun went off. You see, the second you are encountered by Jesus, that's the gun saying go. If you've been encountered by Jesus, your past, because of Jesus, has been completely redeemed and forgiven. My point in wanting to uh, share with you one man's encounter, uh, looking at Saul who became Paul, was not so that any one of us would say, well, I want to be like him. That was not the point. I wanted you to see how this man was so radically transformed by one encounter with Jesus. It just set the course of his life in a completely different direction. And the same Jesus that encountered him 2,000 some odd years ago is the same Jesus that's, I'm here. I'm not just for Paul, I'm for you. So as you've been sitting here and listening to a story that Jason shared of how Jesus has transformed his life, as you've heard a story about how Jesus radically transformed Saul to become Paul, how is Jesus, what is he wanting to transform in you? What is going on in your life right now that Jesus is saying, let me transform this? If you don't know who Jesus is, that's the starting line. This is your moment where you're being encountered by Jesus to say, begin a relationship with God through Christ. Not through works, not through effort, but through Jesus. If that's you, consider the gun has gone off and it's time for you to begin that relationship with Jesus. If you've begun that relationship with Jesus, then know that life is a series of transformations of Jesus continuing to transform us so that we look more and more like him as time goes on. So if you're a Christian, what is Jesus wanting to transform you right now? We're going to spend some time uh, in prayer and uh, in worship. And as you just consider the encounter stories you've heard today from Jason. And Jason, wherever you are, thank you for sharing your story today. And as you've been hearing the story of Saul being encountered by Jesus, the same Jesus who has radically reshaped Jason Autry's life, the same Jesus that has radically transformed Saul to be Paul, is the same Jesus who is inviting you to be encountered by him so that your life would be transformed. 
to a life that is fully glorifying to God in all things and being fully used by God to reach more people for God.